Father, thank you so much for drawing us around your word today. As we open the Bible, God, we thank you that you preserved it for all these centuries, Lord, for us to read today. We pray that this would be, Lord, a, a monumental movement in our hearts today so that we can, Lord, maybe get back on track or stay on that track, Lord, that you have us on. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome. We're continuing our series called Liquid Church. And if you're new this, this week for the first time, we got this idea out of Ezekiel, Old Testament prophet, Ezekiel 37. And it's a really cool visual the prophet gives. He says, he saw this stream and as it left the church and actually went out from the building, the synagogue area, it got bigger and wider. And how cool is that, that that's exactly what God wants us to do with the hope and what we hear here today. So our goal is just like it is every week is that you would be infused, you'd be filled with some hope, some truth, some good news about Jesus. And then it doesn't stay here. But as you go out, the message gets bigger and bigger and wider and more people get to hear that hope. And today we're going to talk about a hope that goes through the generations. In fact, we entitled it Passing the Faith to the Next Generation. But I want to uh, maybe call it something different out, different. Instead of reaching the next generation, what about just reaching another generation. I really think that's what the text is pushing us towards today. The idea that it just doesn't happen that an older person will teach a younger person the faith. While that does happen, how many times do we also get inspired by younger people sharing the faith with the generations above? In fact, this time in the world is the only time that at least six, six generations have been above ground at the same time. Think about that. We are living so long. Six generations are now living together. There's so much opportunity to share what you know about Jesus, what he has done in your life with other generations. So how's that work? How do we do that? See, Psalm 145 says this. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. Notice it doesn't say that one generation commends your works to the younger one. It says to another. And so it's important that we try to figure out where is God leading me right now? Where is God moving in your heart? And who is that generation, that person that he's calling you to share with? When I graduated from college, I graduated with an amazing degree, a bachelor's degree in political science. Yeah, I went in my studies, like I say, from the ungodly to the godly, right? From political science to religion. In fact, I got done with college and I figured out, well, if you have a political science degree, there's really nothing for you to do except run for office. And I was too young to do that and kind of wasn't ready for that in my maturity. Or you move back at home or I guess you just get another degree. So I chose number two. I moved back home and started working some different jobs. And as I did some missionary work, you name it, God really moved in my heart to visit the seminary. And I did that. I was excited about that. You know what? I want to be a pastor for the rest of my life and I ended up doing that. But before I went to the seminary, I already had scheduled a month long trip where I would go in a very frugal way. Didn't have a lot of money, but would go and stay at youth hostels, you name it, and stay with friends that we had as exchange students in high school over in Germany. So they came here in high school, got to know them. I was like, where do you live? They're like Koblenz. I'm like, that's cool. I'm going. I'm coming to visit. So my buddy and I, we went over there. And like good Germans, they would always have, uh, you know, 
wonderful meals at lunch and dinner, and you have a little bit to drink, you name it, and then afterwards you go for a little walk. So one time after we ate, we about five or six of us, we went for a walk in this town that they lived in called Koblenz, and it was a beautiful town. In fact, Koblenz, if you've ever been there, if you haven't, let me just tell you, it's situated right where the Mosul and the Rhine rivers meet. And you talk about beautiful, two rivers coming together, vineyards up on the hillside, just a gorgeous place. We made our way down to the, the, the tip of right there where those rivers come together. And this is the building that we saw. It is called the Basilica of St. Castor. And the reason I remember this, because I don't remember a lot of the places I went in Europe. You go see so many, you're young, you're like, ah, I don't remember that. But what I remember about this is that the benches weren't there when I was there 20-something years ago, but that sidewalk was. And I was on this side of the building, and I remember thinking how beautiful it was, and I thought, this is an opportunity for me to share with all these 20-somethings, these college kids, to share with them what I'm going to do for a living. I was excited about Jesus. I was really on fire. And I told them in my broken German, and they responded in their broken English. I said, hey, I'm going to work here. They're like, what? Like, I'm going to be a pastor. And they looked at me like literally I was a foreigner. They looked at me like I was crazy. They're like, nobody in our generation goes there. In fact, they said the only people that go in there have blue or gray hair. And in German, I understood what that meant. Like, oh, okay. And so I kind of got quiet and they started talking about how nobody that they knew that they hung around with in this town or other towns actually was into this Jesus stuff. And that was the first time in my young life that I started to kind of wake up and think uh, something is happening here. This is not the Europe or the United States that I always uh, thought I knew. And you jump forward to today and you actually look at Pew Research, a very reputable company doing uh, research. Last year's studies say this about Western Europe and the United States. Western Europe now has almost 25% of their people responding that they are a nun. That means they don't believe in Jesus or any religion at all. One in four people in Western Europe. And you know what? Unfortunately, the United States is not far behind. We were at 16, 20, now we're about 21% in some studies. That means one out of five people that you engage with, and it doesn't matter what age, even some of the older generation is having this falling away, right? And so that's why it's important that we look at all the generations. We said, remember how old or young you are, if you're listening today, God is He has a purpose for you listening. In your heart right now, he is going to use an opportunity for you to touch all six of these generations that need to know Jesus. And you might ask yourself this question. How would you rate yourself at reaching another generation with Jesus? How are you doing? Maybe you're like me and you think, you know what? I always talk about Jesus, but I don't know that I intentionally find that one person or the person in that generation to say, you know what? I want you to know what I have in my heart about Jesus. I want you to know him too. See, we live with Jesus. We live following him, but it's so hard sometimes if we're not intentional to think about who is that person that God is having me right now reach with the good news of Jesus. And if you're having trouble trying to figure that out or you're having trouble like, how would I start this? How would I do this? Here's some encouragement today. We have some encouragement from two guys named Paul and Timothy. 
Kind of like that band, Peter, Paul, and Mary. This is Paul and Timothy. You're like, who are these people? Some of you may know them, some of you not. Let me just review. Paul and Timothy were early followers of Jesus that were huge in the Bible because God used them in amazing ways. Paul, he was a man that was actually persecuting the church of Jesus Christ when it first started. He would go and find Christians of this way, they called it. He would get orders that he could pull them out by their hair of their houses and then stone them to death. He did this in Acts chapter 7. He was there when Stephen was the first uh, person killed for the faith that we know of. And then in Acts chapter 9, all of a sudden God just hit him literally and knocked him off of his horse and he became a believer, all sorts of good things happening. And what we find is this guy named Paul spent the rest of his life telling people all generations about Jesus. In fact, when we look at the book of Acts, which is a history of the early church, we see that he did at least four missionary journeys around the Holy Land, the Mediterranean Sea, you name it. In fact, the fourth missionary journey, he not only made it to Turkey, modern-day Turkey, to Italy, but he made it all the way to Spain. That's super cool. Part of what we would now call Western Europe, right? And then he made his way back. And on his way in his first and his second missionary journey, he stopped in a town called Lystra. And this is where a young man named Timothy lived. And the first time he saw Timothy, he probably took note. He thought, this is a young guy, and he has a strong faith. And just like in today's world, we may look at the younger generation and is, is there any faith left? And we can say yes. And just like he found with Timothy, we have people in our midst, young people that are on fire for Jesus. This is what Timothy was. So we jump forward to the second missionary journey. And in the second missionary journey, we're going to see how Paul and Timothy actually reached another generation. We're going to see how they actually did this. I want to open up with Acts chapter 16. This kind of gives you his second encounter, Paul's second encounter with Timothy. This is what it says. Acts 16, the first three verses. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but his father was a Greek. So what that tells us is this. His mom was a believer, Old Testament, Yahweh, Jewish, you name it. And at some point, Paul's message, probably that first visit, his message was able to help her to see Jesus, to become a convert and a believer. Now, the crazy part is it says in Scripture that Timothy's dad was a Greek. And what does that tell you? It tells you that most likely his dad did not know the Old Testament or the New Testament God. His dad was not a believer. And so this is a very hopeful point when we look at this and think, well, I don't know. My spouse isn't that strong in the faith. I can't get my spouse to come to church. You know what? You could still have a huge impact on the next generation, another generation, because it's exactly what happened with Timothy's mom. And it goes on. It says, the believers at Lystra and Iconium, they spoke well of him. That's of Timothy. And Paul, he wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek, basically a non-believer. So basically he had Timothy circumcised so that it wouldn't be a stumbling block for the Jews. Say, you know what, we're just going to get this out of the way, and then we're going to tell them about Jesus. So I can't imagine that conversation. 
All I know is that later on in 2 Timothy, Paul says, hey, Timothy, drink a little bit of wine to calm your stomach, not just water. I bet he said this on steroids when he was going to circumcise him. Like, hey, have a little bit of wine before we do this, right? So anyway, he's circumcised. And you know what, what, what Paul does? He takes Timothy on one of the greatest journeys ever. They go on the next couple uh, missionary trips together. The book of Acts 16 to chapter 20, you have Timothy by Paul's side. They're going to visit different cities. They're planting churches. They go to Macedonia, to Corinth. They come back to Macedonia, all over the place. Can you imagine being on that trip? And it was these two men, one young, one older, and they encouraged each other. This is what we're going to look at in terms of finding out, well, how do they do it now that Paul is in prison? Because when 2 Timothy is written, this is Paul's second huge imprisonment in Rome. He's not in a rental house anymore. In fact, he's, Scripture tells us he's in a dungeon. He's chained up. It's cold. And he is longing for the encouragement of Timothy specifically. So let's look at the first point here. The, the way that they are going to reach generations is this. And the way that you're going to do it is, first of all, through family. First of all, through family. Look closely at Paul's writing. He says in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Don't you find it interesting that he dropped that little part as my ancestors did? Because it could go well without that. Listen, he says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. But instead he says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did. This is the beginning of the letter. Ink was rare back then, and paper was even more rare. Papyrus, whatever they wrote on, okay? You got you to choose every word the Holy Spirit's going to move you to write, and he put it in there, and the ancestors. What is Paul saying to Timothy? He is wanting to encourage him and let him know family is important when it comes to faith. If you want to pass on the faith, family is super important. Now, obviously, Paul's ancestors did not know Jesus of Nazareth, but they did know the God of the Old Testament that prepared and gave the foundation for Paul to then look at all the Old Testament prophecies and say, wow, this Jesus is it. Imagine if Paul didn't have that. If his ancestors thought, not worth it, we're too busy. We got to check out TikTok. Hebrew TikTok, of course. And look at the next, look at the, verse five, it says this. I am reminded, so these, instead of talking about his family, he's going go to go to Timothy. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. What is he saying? Thank God that family did something. Thank God that your grandmother and your mother listened to the Holy Spirit, were converted, they believe in Jesus, and they didn't keep it to themselves. They passed it on to you. How hard is this to do? It's hard, isn't it? Think about your nieces, your nephews, your, your kids, your grandkids. How often do you talk to them more about politics or COVID or whatever or something on, on, that you've seen on Facebook as opposed to about Jesus? I mean, this is something that we have to be intentional about. That's why we're talking about it today. It's so easy to get distracted with all else that is going on. And to have the, the conversation at the dinner table or on the phone about something else except Jesus. But thank God that we are encouraged to work through family. Second, they encourage us to work with colleagues and friends. We can share with colleagues slash and or friends. 
And here's where we get this. In verse four, he says, I was recalling your tears, Timothy. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. You normally don't hear coworkers say that. I don't call Jet or John and say, man, I remember your tears last time you saw me. I just long to see you again so I can be filled with joy. I mean, they call me and say that, but I don't call them, you know. <laughs> but think of where Paul is. He has, yes, Philippians, he tells us, he's, he writes Philippians from prison as well, and he has joy in Christ, we know that, but you know what? God also works through people. And he says, I, Timothy, there's people, that, there's people that we know historically that were looking for Paul and trying to find out what prison he was in in Rome at this time. And we think they found him, but what he was writing was this, I long to see you, Timothy, because I know you are an encourager to me in the faith. And I bet, Timothy, if you see me in these chains, and he says later in this letter, don't be ashamed of this, don't be ashamed of my chains, but let me be an encourager to you as well. Who do you have as a colleague or, or a friend like that? If you don't know, I guarantee God is not passing you up on this. He has that person there right now, or they're coming around the corner. And keep your spiritual eyes open. Who is that? The third one is this. And you know, as the pastor of small groups, I got to put this in, groups. <laughs> they worked big time in groups by planning house churches, you name it. And here's a couple of verses that if you, if you read it too fast, you're, you're going to miss this. Verse 11, Paul says this. And of the gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. So he's telling Timothy, remember this good news about Jesus. I don't just keep it to myself. I don't just uh, uh, pray to God and go off in, on a mountain and stay by myself. I was, I was a herald. That means a proclaimer, one who tells people. I don't proclaim by myself. A teacher, right? And an apostle. That means I know that what I do with this message is I go out, I gather people around, and I share this good news. It's called group life. And then to go on even further in verses 13 and 14, he says, hey, and you, Timothy, I love this, how Paul is going back and forth. He's like, I, you encourage me, I encourage you. This is what God is doing in me. This is what he's doing in you. Verses 13 and 14, he says, what you heard from me when I heralded it, when I told it, what you heard, keep it as a pattern of sound teaching. So right there, he's like, you need to actually speak of this. I encourage you to, to tell people of Jesus. With faith and love in Christ Jesus, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. I don't have the next verses in there, but I want to tell you that people most likely, when we look at scripture, people most likely think that Timothy was a very timid young man. And therefore, I was aptly named Timothy until I got to freshman year in high school. I thought, man, I was a Timothy small man. Very timid, you know, oh, what are people going to think, isn't that, you know, real quiet. And when you look at the writings from Paul, Timothy was like that. And he kept saying, hey, we are not given a spirit of timidity or fear, but of boldness to proclaim the gospel without concern of what other people are thinking of us. He had to encourage him that way. So speak to groups. It doesn't matter what they're thinking. They look odd these days anyway with all these masks. You're like, <laughs> I have a mask off because I can talk. You got a mask. I mean, this is great when you lead groups this time. Anyway, so here's what I want you to do. Have an open and honest discussion in the next 24 hours with someone you trust. 
They may be living with you. It may be someone that's a, a states away. It may be a brother or sister, you name it. Have a, a, an open and honest conversation with someone you trust the next 24 hours because if you don't do it in the next 24 hours, the week will get away from you. And here's what you want to talk about. Wrestle with this question. Who's next to hear about Jesus? It seems so obvious, but we don't ask this question, do we? Who's next? You might have someone sitting next to you that 18 years ago they were baptized. You've already shared Jesus. Who is next? So back to the Basilica of St. Castor. Who is this St. Castor dude? Well, basically he lived in the 4th century, 1,600 years ago. He planted himself right there, right there in Koblenz. It was named, I guarantee, something different at the time. And as he was there on the, the Mosul and the Rhine, history tells us just simply that he was kind of like a hermit, monk, follower of Jesus, and he went out to try to be by himself, and he brought a few people around him. He lived an ascetic life, which is basically a simple life. But it doesn't tell us that he was like the great evangelist that went out and shared about Jesus. And you know what? It must have worked at that time because they planted a building there in his honor, so they were excited about what was happening. I am going to challenge you that, and try to challenge this story and say, I think it's different in our time. It's important for us to go out, be by ourselves for a little while, get to talk to God, be with Jesus, have that quiet time, but he does not call us to stay on the mountain by ourselves. In fact, one of the most encouraging things that I want to come back to that I hear at St. John every year is these young people writing down the story of what Jesus has done in their life. And sharing a faith statement. I can't tell you how many people say, hey, first time I visited St. John, it was in the, the season that you were doing faith statements. And I'm 50, 60, 70 years old. And all of a sudden, that story inspired me. And I wanted to reconnect to Jesus. I wanted to reconnect to a church. And I chose St. John. That's inspiring. You never know by sharing your story, no matter what age you are, how it's going to go. So I encourage you, figure out who that is. What generation is it? Is it family, colleagues, friend? Is it in a group? Who needs to hear about Jesus? And if you're like, I don't know where to start with this, I get you. We have a learning center out here. And if you're online, we actually have this online. You go to our website, stjohnmansfield.org. You can go on the line or check it out over here. It's a home path. Uh, it's a way for you to find brochures, conversation starters, all sorts of goodies that help you really hone in on what is Jesus doing in my life? What's he doing in my family? How can I share this? And if you do this and you allow God to do it, you will be that liquid church. You go around and tell people, I'm living out Ezekiel 37. Say, this guy's nuts, but you know what is true and it's what God's called you to do. Amen.